welcome to the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. I'm your host, Lonnie Swain. I'm a media veteran, digital content creator, and strategist. My career has required many cross-country relocations from my hometown of New Orleans to Baltimore, St. Louis, Chicago, Dallas, back to New Orleans, and now Miami, Florida. The purpose of this show is to remind you that everyone has to go through something to get somewhere. I lead personal and professional development conversations in hopes of inspiring you to live your best and most authentic lives. And just a reminder, I always love to know what you think about the podcast. So don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's get into the show. All right, this episode of the podcast, Rakima Dolio Parson is a licensed professional counselor and Louisiana native and also play therapist whose own experience overcoming childhood traumatic stress led her to pursue a career as a therapist. Rakima not only believes that there is valuable work to be done through providing individual therapy services, but she also embraces the responsibility of advocating and providing outreach. She has prevented She has presented at both national and regional conferences and is active and working to help enhance the policies related to mental health. Rakima has also volunteered as a mentor through an organization that supports children of incarcerated parents. She is driven by her desire to minimize barriers to accessing mental health information and services. Rakima works with individuals of all ages with the goal of enhancing both mental well-being and interpersonal functioning. So this is why I thought she would be the perfect person to discuss Mental Health Awareness Month. Rakima, thanks so much for being on the show again. Thanks for having me again. Of course. Mental health awareness, one of my absolute favorite subjects, especially as of late. So for those that are joining the conversation, how do you describe mental health from a clinical perspective? So I like to talk to when I'm talking to people, groups of people, I like to share that, you know, mental health is a spectrum. So just because a person doesn't have a diagnosable disorder doesn't mean that they're in the clear or that they're functioning completely adaptive or it's healthy. Right. So we want to make sure Mm -hmm. that, you know, our communities understand that just because there isn't something um, diagnosable or something that they're being treated for. It doesn't mean that they can't be proactive in putting things in place to avoid a potential crisis or some sort of a a breakdown of their Mm -hmm. mental health. Absolutely, because there are so many people who do have clinical mental health issues who are not diagnosed. Can we kind of touch on that a little bit and why that might be? Yeah, I think that goes back to, and you touched on it in my bio, one thing that's important to me as a therapist is not just seeing people in the office because there's lots of barriers to people getting to my office. So I do a lot of work mm-hmm. around advocacy. So yesterday I was at the Capitol and so I go down and I talk to people about ways to increase access to services. And I think that's one of the, the first reasons why there are people that may have symptoms that are clinical but they don't know that they need treatment because they haven't had access to licensed therapists. I think that's one of the first things. The Mm -hmm. second thing would be the stigma. So in addition to there being difficulty with accessing services, there are a number of people who probably could access services that don't. Really being mindful, and that's why I think platforms like this one are important to talk to people about mental health and kind of get people used to having those conversations because Mm -hmm. there still is, even in 2019, reluctance to seek services. 
So people don't know what they don't know. Absolutely. And there are so many different clinical mental health issues that people would think are severe or sometimes there are more visible symptoms that are more easily recognized. Can we talk about some of the less outwardly visible symptoms that people may be experiencing that may let them know that their mental health is not where it should be? And this kind of goes into maybe the, the anxiety piece or feelings of uh, seasonal depression or or mild depression or things like that, that people can be hiding on the inside that they can't see on the outside, like maybe something like schizophrenia or something like that, how that may manifest. I think with with each individual, things present differently, but there are certain types of symptoms that can raise a red flag and maybe tell an individual like, hey, I need to seek services to get more information to see. Maybe this is something that, you know, I can manage on my own or maybe this isn't. And I think some of the big ones are physical symptoms. That's kind of where I like to start because, again, with the you know, stigma around mental health services, a lot of people present when they're having these symptoms to medical doctors and they present, they are mm-hmm. saying, oh, I'm having heart palpitations or I'm having shortness of breath or these things are happening. Those are some symptoms of anxiousness, right? That doesn't mean mm-hmm. that they have an anxiety disorder just yet. It could be a medical thing, but I think mm-hmm. a lot of times people see the physical symptoms and go straight to the medical route and sometimes neglect the idea of seeking help for their mental health. So those are some symptoms of panic, right? And so Mm -hmm. really being able to get clear about what's going on when those things start to trigger a physical reaction. I can even speak for myself when I drive in strange places and I'm like, I'm not sure where I'm going. I recognize Mm -hmm. that my hands start to sweat, right? Those are symptoms Mm -hmm. um, of anxiousness. So those are physical symptoms that happen to our bodies when our brains are overloaded and we start to feel overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Another thing that might go unnoticed um, is isolation. So when we think about other symptoms or behavior changes is isolation. So if you were a person who typically, you know, was very outgoing, you loved being around people, you volunteered in the community and all of a sudden nobody has really heard from you, you're canceling plans, um, that might be something to note as well. What's going on? This is a new thing, this is a symptom, what, what's triggered this? Or just lack, lack of interest in the things yeah. that you once found enjoyment in doing. Exactly, you know, too. exactly. Mm-hmm. Lack of productivity is a big one. You know, having challenges at work. So if you were a person who performed highly at work and then all of a sudden, same thing, that lack of interest um, in your performance. Again, something else to take note of. Um, vices, when you start to lean on your vices. So if there are mm-hmm. things that maybe aren't very healthy, and I, I, I worked at a university as well in a health and counseling center, and I talked to a lot of college age individuals, and we talked mm-hmm. a lot about substance use. A lot of times when there are symptoms of a mental health disorder, sometimes um, self-medicating is where people go. And so the goal would be to figure out ways to cope with those symptoms without the self-medication piece. But again, that has to be identified, saying, hey, this is Mm -hmm. what you're doing. When you start to feel overwhelmed, you seek these substances. That Mm -hmm. could even be food, right? I think Mm -hmm. I talked last podcast about a guilty pleasure of mine. When I'm stressed, I'm like, I gotta Mm -hmm. have my, right? Not a healthy. Right. 
but it can mm-hmm. really be mindful of when you feel triggered or when you feel overwhelmed or when you have certain symptoms, what are you using to cope with that? And is that healthy or is it unhealthy? And I want to jump in on there because both of us being born and raised in Louisiana, drinking and eating are so much a part of the culture <laughs> that Absolutely. I feel like especially drinking. I mean, you there's 24-hour drive-through daiquiri shops and mm-hmm. things like that. So when somebody is waking up and having uh, you know, a Bloody Mary or a bourbon and Coke or a Jack and Coke, Crown and Coke for breakfast, nobody bats an eyelid. That's like the normal. And so I think that in that kind of environment, it's hard to identify something as like, oh, this is your coping method or this is your numbing method when that's what everybody is doing. So it's so normalized. And how do you then think, okay, this is, or how do you make a distinction of this is a coping mechanism or this is part of the culture or both? Yeah, so that's a, that's a <laughs> great, you brought up a great point. So that's great. Um, we really take, and cultural competence is huge. And, and we talk about cultural competence when it comes to race a lot, but I think mm-hmm. we've got to look at it, you know, cultural, like demographic, where you were born, the location, mm-hmm. you know, the amount of income you have, what communities that you function in. So that's a great, great question. Um, how therapists and how I, I am with my clients, typically we go through a very extensive intake process. And in that intake process, I would ask specific questions and what those would look like um, I'd ask questions about when people are drinking. So there's a difference between social drinking um, and drinking to to numb something, right? So I'd ask very specific questions about that because like you said, if you work in a field even where happy hours are a part of the kind of work you do, or if you're from New Orleans and you know, <laughs> there's access to these types of drinks and hand grenades and hurricanes and that's a part of for breakfast um, for (laughs) breakfast right and we eat a lot you know we like Mm -hmm. we even Mm -hmm. show love through cooking and eating and feeding people yes so I would Mm -hmm. really ask questions about how it's impacting their functioning so if someone Mm -hmm. tells me you know I drink three times a week. I'd ask, you know, how many drinks are you having? Right. So it's mm-hmm. one thing to drink socially. It's another thing to drink until you pass out. Um, right. I'd also ask, has it impacted you legally? So if I have someone coming in that's saying, oh, you know, I drink this amount and I've gotten in trouble with the law because of it, or I've made these poor decisions that have gotten me in trouble with the law, or I've fallen out with family members because of it. Right those things will start to Mm -hmm. signal to me that there's some clinical concern because there's a lack of ability to control the amount that they're drinking um, Mm -hmm. opposed to it being a social thing. I'd also ask about work. You know, if a person says, you know, I had this job that I really loved, but I can never get there on time. And if that's a result Mm -hmm. of the substance use, again, that's something to look at. Right. Thank you for clarifying that. And then also, which side note about New Orleans and eating, 
where people get offended if they cook for you <laughs> and you turn it down. If you go to their house and you yes. act like you're not hungry <laughs> and you don't want the food that they made, oh, that is goodness. a problem. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now your relationship Absolutely. with your mama is impacted. <laughs> I can't. I can't tell grandma I'm vegan, okay? And I can't eat. Right. Those, I can't eat those rings anymore that she makes. You know. Exactly. Exactly. And so. Now that we're kind of covering some of the the things that may indicate there is an issue going on, what are some of the common things that disrupt or potentially impact our mental health or disturb our mental health? Yeah. So I think one of the things, and I think about this one a lot, especially with where we are as a society. I think one of the big, big things that I'd like to talk about is um, the amount of visual and audio things that we consume. So Mm -hmm. that might look like social media, um, certain things on television, um, and really looking at how those things are serving you or not serving you and how they're triggering you or not triggering you. One example I'd say, and it's a big one, for our, you know, for our culture right now is, you know, seeing videos of maybe negative things that are happening, like police shootings on social media. And it's constant, mm-hmm. right? It's constant. And so those things could trigger something in you to make you feel overwhelmed. Um, or the things you watch on television or the types of music you listen to can also trigger different things and disrupt your mental wellness. Another big thing, and especially because I know that the demographic of your audience is young professional women. And so work can be a trigger. Um, one big thing I've seen is that there's a lot of individuals who either have positions that they don't love or they're in a dream job and they feel this extreme pressure to perform and to say yes to everything. Um, or they tie their adequacy to the amount of work they can put out versus, Mm -hmm. you know, just having that internal validation. If they're Mm -hmm. not getting that validation from an employer or supervisor, really feeling disappointed by that. So I think work Mm -hmm. is a big trigger for individuals right now. And especially for where we are, we've seen that, you know, there's there's been cuts in in positions and now one person's having to do two people's jobs, um, which can be really hard for individuals to function on a daily basis, which then Mm -hmm. leads into another thing which is lack of sleep. Mm. And so when we talk about some of those physical things, your lack of sleep could be due to feeling anxious and you're waking up in the middle of the night. So that's something I would ask a client, like, is your sleep disturbed in the middle of the night? What's happening? Um, Mm -hmm. Or it could be to feeling like you have too many responsibilities and you're spread so thin that you stay up, you know, all night to get things done. Right. So those are a few of the things. Um, that I think really impact and then also lack of physical activity. So when we talk about the mind body connection, a lot of times, again, with work and other responsibilities that we have, sometimes the physical component um, takes a back seat. And what we mm-hmm. know based on science is that there's a mind body connection. And so really having an opportunity to, to have physical activity and have access to that is really important for your mental health. And the one thing that you didn't mention that I'm thinking of is just realistically with social media in general, the comparison 
of, you know, everything about your life, whether it be hashtag relationship goals. I feel that Mm -hmm. especially for women, there's so Mm -hmm. much pressure and um, a sense of validation that only can be achieved through marriage and having children. You know, that if you're not married, that if you're not having children, then you aren't officially a woman yet or something along those lines. You know, that there is a certain level of judgment or perceived lack of arrival, you know, until you, you know, tick off those check boxes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you and your man aren't on every cruise and every (laughs) island vacation and, you know, around the world 24-7-365, then y'all aren't living y'all hashtag best life. And, you know, just all of these different things that people post of their highlight reels on social Mm -hmm. media that other people are then comparing saying, oh, well, this person just opened their second business or this person just got a promotion or this person just got another degree or this person just had another baby or this person just, you know, (laughs) went on another vacation, you know, and it's all these things that you're sitting here looking at on social media and comparing to your life and saying, I'm not enough or I'm not doing enough or I'm not achieving enough or I'm not where I should be by this age because my peers are all here and Mm -hmm. I'm there. It sends you on a downward spiral of Mm -hmm. feeling like your life is not good enough or you're not good enough and can be very depressing. And I hear so many people, and this is not just a woman thing, even men, you know, or if it's like looking at guys, oh, he he has bigger muscles. I need to be doing more in the gym Mm -hmm. or, you know, just whatever the case may be, you know, just all of this comparison that I think really makes people get in a bad mental headspace. Absolutely. That's it's so real what you said, because as you're as you're talking, I'm thinking about times that I've looked at stuff, <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. you know, at, even as a mental health professional and I'm scrolling in there are days where and I encourage my clients or people in general, the listeners, when you get to a point that you start to feel overwhelmed by social media, you can delete the app. You don't have to delete your page, <laughs> but you can take a yeah. break. And so I've mm-hmm. even been there where. I've had to delete the app off my phone because I didn't trust myself not to click it. Right. And I was uh-huh. like, you know what? I need 30 <laughs> days. I need 30 days to not look at this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. what you say is so real because we have access to so much information, which is so overwhelming. And even when I think about what we're talking about, like seeing comparing our lives, I'm interested in how many of those people we really even know in real life. Cause sometimes we're comparing ourselves to people we've never even met. Right. And their real life might look nothing like that. Right. (laughs) Right. And we've never met them. And we're like, oh, man, like she's in Croatia. Right. Like, what does that Mm -hmm. look like? (laughs) Right. Really being mindful of like bringing ourselves back to reality. Um, And even if there are people that we know on there, again, if you are feeling that way, maybe it's time to take a break, you know, from looking at those pages or mute those pages or take a break from the app for seven days and see if your mental health increases, right? Because I've mm-hmm. seen that too, where I was like, oh man, like seeing these shootings or seeing these things that make me feel sad about like, what's the what's the state of the world? Like what's going on, mm-hmm. right? And I find myself feeling down or feeling like, well, what can we do? Or feeling scared even. There were yeah. days when those shootings were happening when I was afraid to drive. I was like, oh man, I got to drive and I see a police behind me and I'm like, what's going on, right? So 
Right. Again, really being mindful and having boundaries and protecting our mental space. The comparison, again, can really impact it. We have things mm-hmm. in society like 40 under 40, right? So this race to the finish when 40 yeah. at this point isn't even middle age. Why is mm-hmm. there this rush to compete and to finish and to compare at these particular deadlines, right? And I think it's right. a societal issue. Mm-hmm. But again, we have autonomy and control over ourselves. And that's what I would encourage people to, to remember. Even though we have access and the internet is a wonderful place if we use it correctly, but mm-hmm. in social media as well. But we have um, control and power over ourselves to limit access to stuff that's going to make us feel bad about ourselves. We don't mm-hmm. have to consume that. And I'm also a fan of the unfollow button if you don't like (laughs) how somebody is making you feel or what they're posting is making you question your value or worth unfollow Um, I I think that's a great point and two one other thing I thought about while we were talking that I made a note of and I forgot to to mention especially because we just had a holiday but family Family mm-hmm. can disturb mental health. And so we really want to look at those things, too. Um, for some people, family is a place of refuge. They feel like they can be themselves. They can, um, you know, they have they have a good time with their family. For other people, family can be very triggering. Um, mm-hmm. And so really being mindful of that and how you feel around certain relatives or extended family and how you make sure you navigate that mm-hmm. for family functions for holidays to make sure that you're well again boundaries are important so yes. we're looking at what can interrupt or interfere with our mental health um, if family is one of those things either making a plan to figure out how to take corrective action to rebuild those relationships so that they are healthier um, mm-hmm. or setting boundaries to say I'm going to limit the amount of time I spend with certain people. So really looking at that as well. And I feel like that's such a layered issue because I feel like even though so many people find that their family is a trigger for them, there's so much guilt and stigma around distancing yourself from family because people feel this pressure and a societal pressure to to keep with the status quo of, you know, oh, you're not spending Mother's Day with your mother or, oh, you're not, you know, spending Christmas with your family or all of these different things that that something must be wrong with you if you choose to distance yourself from your family. Even though, you know, when we say things like, oh, you know how your brother is or you know how your grandma is or aunt or whoever the person that triggers you is it's like this unspoken rule that that's just your family and you're supposed to accept whoever they are and however they make you feel and so Mm -hmm. I think that there's so much mental anguish that comes with setting those boundaries Mm -hmm. and honoring them if there is an issue with family and so a lot of people I've seen suffer through that and feel that that's just kind of their plight in life or what they have to do because that's my mom and you only get one mom. And so I got to deal with her, even though she makes me feel 
terrible or whatever the, the circumstances are. And so damned if you do, damned if you don't, you know, you you don't yeah. feel good when you're in the person's presence, but you don't feel good when you distance yourself either because you feel that there's a level of judgment or ridicule or shame. Any tips, I guess, for people in that position of not feeling healthy or well in their presence, but equally feeling bad about distancing themselves. Yeah, I think the first thing would be to normalize that, you know, because that is a tough situation uh, to Mm -hmm. navigate. It's not easy. So when I talk about doing that, it's not because it's easy. And I've, and I've been there before where I had to set certain boundaries for myself and it's hard. The first step will be in the first encouragement will be that it's a slow process. So mm-hmm. what I share with people is that if you've always functioned a certain way and you go into your first therapy session or you, you journal about it, or you learn something, you hear something, you know, you heard something on audible and you want to try it immediately you know, be careful about the backlash you can get from family and friends because they're used to you a certain way. Really being mindful that it's a slow process. And when you introduce these new boundaries and these new ways of being, they might be met with resistance and people will push because they're used to you being a certain way. And and you're used to being a certain way. And a lot Mm -hmm. of times you stay in these situations because, you know, it's more comfortable to be a part of the, the known versus the unknown. You don't know what to expect. And so I think the biggest mm-hmm. thing will be slowly creating those boundaries and having those conversations or not having those conversations, but creating those boundaries for yourself. And that doesn't always mean cutting mm-hmm. everybody off that causes you distress. It might just mean I can't talk to my uncle every time he calls me. That might mean, you know, I can pick up the phone once a week, right? If there are people in your Mm -hmm. family that disrupt your mental health, or that may mean I can't make it to every family dinner, you know, family dinner happening on Sunday once a month. I'm going to go to every other one of them because I can Mm -hmm. tolerate every other, but I can't tolerate, (laughs) you know, with them asking why I'm not 40 under 40, right? You know, whatever those things (laughs) are based on, on their social media or Facebook for family members that are on mm-hmm. Facebook and Instagram and they see, Oh, well, your friend did this and you didn't, you know, so really being mindful of, again, when we go back to that comparison piece, family plays a part in that as well. If you have siblings or whatever may be going on, it mm-hmm. can be triggering. So again, really figuring out what's going to help minimize my distress and start mm-hmm. slow with it. As you introduce those concepts, again, going cold Turkey, doesn't always work. Some people have to, if it's a really Mm -hmm. toxic, unhealthy situation, or if it's dangerous, you know, definitely. But if it's something that is just emotionally disruptive to you, creating those boundaries slowly. Something, you know, you kind of brought up too, the emotional versus um, physical disruptions and disturbances. And it's so interesting that people can easily identify, you know, physical abuse, but mental abuse is something that it's hard to identify to the the common eye, I guess. Um, What are some things that would be classified as mental abuse? And how do people potentially identify that? I think With verbal and emotional abuse, some common things, and especially um, we talk a lot about these when working with family violence cases, and emotional abuse can be seen as 
if you don't do what I want, you aren't worthy of my love, right? So an individual is pulling or taking away their love or affection for you when you don't perform or do what they want you to do. That would be like a an example of emotional abuse. With verbal um, and how that impacts individuals, again, we've seen that on a, a number of you know television shows and things that we're familiar with, but that could be someone that verbally berates a person, puts them down, puts them down in front of other people. So not just telling them that they are not good enough or that um, they don't know how to do this or that, but you know, when they're in front of a crowd, again, at the family dinner, saying, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, this person can't do this or that, right? Mm-hmm. Even sometimes jokes or those things can be viewed as a verbally abusive piece of thing if it's being used to put the person down and fracture their self-esteem. So really looking mm-hmm. at some of those things. And again, I think it will go back each individual in their gut. They know if something doesn't feel good, right? And so mm-hmm. I think... What's important to know for individuals, it's not always going to be that society or the rest of the family can see what's happening. Um, right. Do you, you know what's happening. And I think sometimes when we're looking for that, that validation from others to say like, hey, this is happening. Stop doing that. Um, mm-hmm. That's when we have more distress, too, because we might not always have allies in those fights. You know, when it comes to, mm-hmm. hey, I'm being mistreated, we might not always have allies again. Because in a lot of family systems, and we're, we kind of got off on the family subject, but in a lot of family systems, these are things that have happened for generations. So not mm-hmm. everybody's going to be where you are on the continuum of realizing what's healthy and what's not healthy. So right. again, a slow process when you start to have more insight and more aware, awareness around healthy relationships, healthy family dynamics, you might mm-hmm. be the only one in your family that has that insight right now. And so it's slow. Mm-hmm. It's a slow process. Um, yeah. Patience with yourself and patience with the family members that you do want to keep relationships with as you start to create those boundaries. And so if somebody is listening right now, what are maybe questions that they can ask themselves or ask someone they love to do like a quick mental check in? some things maybe they can some exercises that they can do on a regular basis so one thing i like to use with individuals that i work with or even myself because again because of such a spectrum where i am today in three months i could be somewhere else right so you really Mm want to be doing this frequently and doing this self-assessment one easy and feasible thing for people to do is 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 a, is a old school kind of thing, right? A wellness will. I don't know if you're familiar with the wellness will or not, but no. You can Google it. You can Google it. You can make them, but it just kind of breaks down. It's similar to a pie chart, and it's something okay. that people can sit down if they like to journal, or if they like to do arts and crafts. You can use colors and markers or whatever you want, and you can sit down and and, and do a wellness will. And so, typically, some of the typical things that are on it will be spirituality. Um, like emotion, it'll be spiritual, emotional, financial, intellectual, physical, and environmental. And you could break things into those portions and you could do a check-in on each of those things. If spirituality Mm -hmm. is important to you, if that's a value of yours, where are you with that? So if that's something that's Mm -hmm. important to you and you realize that over the last six weeks, I've been feeling a lot of distress, but also over the last six weeks, I've not done anything to enhance my spirituality. Right. So seeing what's going on with that Um, financial, 
If you say, okay, I've been feeling a lot. I've been feeling really overwhelmed. Checking on the financial piece. Is there something Mm -hmm. in that area that's not up to par for you to feel well? So really looking at that, does that mean that, okay, I need to create a budget or I want to talk to a financial advisor or I need to pick up a part-time job because my my biggest stress is XYZ when it comes to financial. Um, Mm -hmm. The other piece could be environmental. And so maybe someone has a roommate or they have a spouse or they have, um, or they live in an area that's not really good for them. I, I live in Austin and my allergies uh-huh. have been really bad the entire oh. three years I've been here. Right. And wow. So I'm uh-huh. that, and again, this goes back to those, all those pieces of wellness. Um, mm-hmm. I was really fatigued for months. I was like, I'm so sleepy. I've never, mm-hmm. I've never been a person that took naps or anything. I've always had a lot of energy And I just found myself being so sleepy. So when I check in on environmental, one of my triggers for my fatigue and me feeling like, okay, I'm not as productive as I used to be, it was allergies. So Mm -hmm. again, sometimes these things aren't all based in mental health, but they can get to that point if we're not proactive. So really looking Mm -hmm. at, is my environment conducive to my overall wellness? Or am I living with someone that's not, it's not a healthy living environment or mm-hmm. am I living somewhere that doesn't feel safe? Right. Mm-hmm. So looking at those things. And then there's also the emotional component. And I think that's where family would go. Family, mm-hmm. friends, whatever fills you up emotionally. So really looking mm-hmm. at that. And if you find yourself feeling some distress, check in on that. You know, yeah. what do I need to change in my emotional relationships or my emotional being to help me feel better? Love it. Before we wrap up, I have some questions. The last time we spoke, I was saying I was getting it together, but now I finally finalized my Lonnie's last five questions. Okay. So we're going to do five final questions before we wrap it up. The first question. So with all of these, just kind of say whatever comes to mind. Okay. What is your favorite act of self-care? I really like acupuncture. <laughs> so, um, mm, okay. I said that, you know, living in Austin, I'm like, oh, my allergies are really bad, but there's been some positive things. I tend to be more holistic in my approach to, you know, mm-hmm. you know, my wellness. And so I found uh-huh. acupuncture and I've loved it. I've been doing it for a couple of years and it really helps to manage my stress, especially being in the mental health field. Um, it's important for me to be centered um, when I'm working yes. with individuals. So I was mm-hmm. able to find an acupuncture school. So I know acupuncture is not always covered by insurance for those of you that are uh-huh. you know, curious about it. But if you look in mm-hmm. your city, if there's a school of acupuncture, there are sometimes sliding scale or low cost ways to get access to acupuncture. But I found it to be really helpful with with stress and sleep and all types of things. So that's something I like to Okay. I was going to say, is it helping at all with the allergies? Because supposedly it can help with that sometimes, too. So far, no. I think I think I'm just whatever <laughs> um, allergen is out here. I think it's mold and cedar. Those are my two okay. triggers. But um, it's helped with my migraines. Um, and my oh, okay, significantly. good. So um, I'm an I'm advocate for, for at least giving it a try. Okay, awesome. I've just recently been getting back into acupuncture. How often do you go? So once a week? depending on what's going on, um, there okay. have been seasons where I've gone once a week. Um, okay. But right now I'm 
I'm back to maybe like once a month, once every other month to just try to okay. maintain. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in a in a pretty stable place with the with the migraines and the sleep and um, stress, so I don't have to go as much. Okay, good because I get migraines too, so I'm I'm trying to figure out where how how often I need to go to kind of balance that. Okay. Yes. Second question: What's something you wish you were better at? Ooh. I wish I was better at singing. If I'm honest, I, wish I, um, I okay. really like to sing. I really like music, but I don't sing very well. But I, I feel like I sing well. But I don't <laughs> sing well. But other so people I I have let you know. No, they have let me know. Yes. <laughs> Um, so I was okay. better at singing because it's actually a stress reliever. Like I, I enjoy singing very loudly in my car um, <laughs> after work. It's really fun for me. It really helps me. Um, and, and two, it helps you to breathe. I think that's another thing. Singing is kind of under underrated when it comes to helping with mindfulness and breathing. You got to breathe in and breathe out to sing. I hadn't thought about that. What is your definition of success? Oh, so especially with us talking about um, <laughs> social media and comparison, this is a great question. Um, for me, it's peace. Mm-hmm. So peace is something that's really important to me. So to be successful, like I have to find, I have to find peace. And so I've learned on this journey all the things and goals that I've set for myself as I tick them off, you know, I'm on to the mm-hmm. next one. Right. It's, it, it doesn't mm-hmm. all, it, it rarely feels like enough, you know, especially in our society. It's right. Like, yeah, I got this one. Now what else can I do? Mm-hmm. Right. But I think ultimately for me and what I believe is that where am I? Am I, am I at peace with what's going on? Um, am I making an impact? Am I making a difference? And am mm-hmm. I at peace about what I'm doing? I think that is success to me because you can have a lot of stuff and still not so at peace. You know, am I sleeping at night? Right. Am I able to be at peace? And so I think, you know, reaching that is success, whatever that, you know, mm-hmm. looks like for other people. What's a quote or a piece of advice that you live by? Oh, I'm trying to think. So... Don't have a quote, but I think overall a piece of advice. And last time I shared about uh, my grandma, and this time I'll share about my aunt. Um, she was my mm-hmm. my biggest cheerleader, and so I really had a great relationship with her. And she passed away about eighteen months ago, so that's been mm-hmm. hard. And Sorry to hear that. that. I didn't talk about yeah, I didn't talk about loss, you know, when it comes to mental wellness, but she was a very positive family relationship for me and so for her she would always say to thine own self be true and so Mm -hmm. that's something that you know I I really carry and really think about when I'm going through life like am I being true to myself right Mm -hmm. and so that's really important to me and my last and final question what do you want to be remembered for I want to be remembered for going hard and advocating for for access to mental health. I mean, I think not just therapy, but just overall how to have these conversations um, and how to impact individuals. I think when I think about my legacy, um, I do a lot of service, you know, unpaid service. So outside of, you know, what I do day to day, I go out into the community and I work in the community. Right. And so I really want, I want to be remembered for really kind of doing that work and 
being like boots on the ground and going out and showing people that, you know, there is a different way and, and, and it may look differently for everybody. I don't have all the answers, but I want to help mm-hmm. them find their answers and their truth and whatever mm-hmm. they may be. It doesn't have to be in a therapeutic way. It could be just me as a, as a mentor to someone or just me as a friend, you know, out in the community. So mm-hmm. um, really just giving people the opportunity to find their peace and to find their truth. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you wanted to mention about mental health and mental health awareness month? Um, I think the biggest thing is when you start to see changes in your behavior or concerns, be proactive, seek services. And so, you know, I'm on the podcast and we're talking about these things, but for some people you are going to need services beyond what you can find online. You're going to need to go and sit down and talk to someone. So I really, really want to encourage that as well. If you start to feel concerned about yourself or even someone else, again, I always like to pub it. Psychology Today is an easy way to find therapists in your community. Put in your zip code. You can click on what kind of health insurance you have. You can even click on sliding scale if you don't have insurance and get connected to services. You can always go once. And if you don't like the person, you don't have to go back. So you don't have to feel obligated if you are worried about it, but it's at least worth giving it a try to be proactive because once things start to feel completely overwhelming and you're in crisis, um, it could be harder to get connected to somebody. So you want to make sure you're taking care of yourself on the journey um, before things get to a point where you're completely overwhelmed. And if someone wants to get in touch with you, how can they do it? They can follow me on Instagram, uh, centered TX. And from there, they can, you know, have access to my professional emails. They have questions. They can shoot me an email. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. Please visit my website, LonnieSwain.com, where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, check out companion blog posts, show notes, and lots of other cool stuff. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Buzzsprout, CastBox, Anchor, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and my website. I love and appreciate all of your feedback, so don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with at least three people who you think would enjoy it too or benefit from the information. Until next time, go where you are celebrated and appreciated, not just tolerated. Talk to you soon.